Welcome into another edition of the College Basketball Bonanza, our final episode before Christmas. Obviously, wishing everyone a very fantastic Christmas, Hanukkah, however you want to celebrate this festive season. I'm Nicholas Hodel. Dominic Stern is alongside me. It is the, the festive time of the year to where if you look on just about any sort of score or any other day, you're going to get games from it all day. We love to see that. Yeah, no, it's been awesome the past couple of weeks. Like we, we've mentioned this a couple of times already. We're, we're done with school so we can actually, you know, watch college basketball and not have, really have to worry about anything else with finals and whatnot. So it's definitely been awesome the past couple of weeks, especially this past week where, I mean, like San Diego State tipped off at 2.30 Pacific time. They lost, but, you know, it's still awesome, even if you're not a San Diego State fan or a BYU fan. You get to watch college basketball early in the afternoon, and you can't ask for much more in life. So, what's up? Absolutely. And we're going to get started straight away uh, with, with some of our top games of the week. On Tuesday, Alabama-Furman. This was such a fun game to watch because Furman, they played really well. However, as soon as Mounts fouled out, it's just seen that Alabama should have found the, the rhythm in this game and ultimately took the dub here. Yeah, Furman led all the way, and then Alabama just took off at the end. It, unfortunate because Furman could have definitely used this non-conference win just in case, you know, you slip up in uh, in your conference tournament or whatnot. But, I mean, Alabama, they snuck by with this win. They did lose later this week. So Alabama definitely not performing to the standard of which we kind of thought they were. I mean, last week you and I both picked them over Clemson. They ended up losing that game. They're now a three-loss team early on in the year. Nate Oates has got some work cut out for him in the SEC conference play. Yeah, big win for Western Kentucky in the weekend over Alabama. And, of course, firm. this pretty much means that they will be, uh, the Southern Conference will be a one-bit league. And, of course, that just really adds on to what Furman against Winthrop in an absolute stinker of a game that was. On Wednesday, Purdue and Ohio State. I mean, we both kind of made the mistake of really discounting Mackey Arena here in this one. Um, Purdue taking it at 67 to 60. What, what were your thoughts from this one? Yeah, I just don't know how the home home court advantage is playing into it. I mean, obviously there still is an advantage to being able to sleep in your bed, not being not traveling and then sleeping in a hotel. So there was that. But I mean, low scoring games are the games that Purdue just absolutely thrives in. They're now five and two on the year. So Purdue, you know, they're, they're a little bit better than what we thought they were. I mean, they basically took over going down the final stretch of the first half, just ran away with this game against Ohio State. So Purdue, better than we thought they were. Ohio State's still a very good team. Uh, Eddie started in this game, only had two fouls, but he only played 12 minutes. Once again, I would like to see him play a little bit more for Purdue because, I mean, he's such a threat down low that it makes everyone else on the court better. Uh, still a freshman, still getting his feet wet, but – these two teams are certainly better than what we thought going into the season. Yeah, and I would absolutely expect Purdue to, you know, try to use him some more as time goes on, as he improves over the course of, of his freshman campaign as well. Kansas, Texas Tech on Thursday. First off, what a game this was. Uh, low scoring game, uh, 58-57. Kansas really pulling this one out. I thought this was probably one of the highest quality games of the entire week, two Big 12 teams, two top Big 12 teams going out. This was a lot of fun to watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely great game. Two of the best defenses in the nation. Of course, you see that reflected in the scoreboard. And they're just fun teams to watch. 
the Big 12 at the top of the conference, uh, you can put the top of the Big 12 up against any other conference in the nation. Kansas came up clutch. Ochai Baji, really good game, 23 points. Remember, he didn't do anything against Creighton. Then he goes out here and he scores 23 points against one of the best teams in the nation. Kansas, two weeks ago, I came out and said, hey, this team's got a lot of work to do if they want to be that good team. Since then, they beat both Creighton and Texas Tech. They're certainly impressing. And Mac McClung at Texas Tech is certainly a much better Mac McClung than what we saw at Georgetown. He got 22, 21 points in this game. Uh, once again, a lot of his work is still being done at the free throw line. You would like to see him be a better shooter from the floor. Once again, this is against a really good Kansas defense, so can't really hold him too much there. But uh, if Texas Tech had shot a little bit better from the floor, they would have had a much better chance to win this game because they forced 16 turnovers uh, to only turn the ball over seven times. So love these two teams going forward. Uh, I'm, I'm back on the Kansas train. They, they look really good. Yeah, and a few thoughts just based off that. Texas Tech never really took advantage of those turnovers either, only scoring eight points off of those 16 turnovers. To me, the ideal ratio would sort of be sort of a one-to-one uh, -one ratio, the yeah. absolute least. Uh, so that wasn't very ideal for them. McClellan, 5 of 16 from the field. Again, you can't really fault that in playing against Kansas, but you would like to see that definitely get better as time goes on. And, of course, Garrett's double-double of 10 and 10, that's all got to be applauded as well. And you're, you're right. Kansas is definitely sort of stepping into their shoes a little bit. Um, of course, I had pitched Kansas against Creighton all along. I mean, this game really just shows that Kansas is going to be right up there with Baylor once again in the Big 12. That will be a very fun matchup later on in the season. NC State, St. Louis. We both absolutely love St. Louis. And the Billikens controlling this one very effectively a plus 26 rebounding margin. I mean, this is just incredible from the Billikens. And, and now as of recording, um, we have not seen St. Louis play Minnesota yet, uh, but very, very close to tipping off. As of time recording, of course, about time listening, that game will probably have already been done and through. But St. Louis to me is a team that absolutely has the potential to be an at-large team. They have the non-conference wins that they need to have to make that statement. Now the question is, of course, with those being home games, will they stay quad one? That'll be the biggest question that I have for St. Louis because if, if they do stay quad one, they're absolutely in. If not, this it's going to be a closer call than we might expect here uh, from St. Louis. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at this game, you look at it, and St. Louis dominated from the floor shooting and both getting rebounds. I mean, you mentioned that rebounding margin. That's absolutely insane. 53 to 26. However, St. Louis turned the ball over 21 times. Now they are facing a team in NC State, Power 5 team. They are used to playing better defense than a lot of teams. So I, I look at St. Louis, and I absolutely think this is an at-large team. I think both them and Richmond are at-large teams. I think the A-10 could be a three-bid team or a three-bid league. And it starts with St. Louis. They're undefeated. I think they will beat Minnesota in that matchup tonight. And, you know, I mean, like you said, we'll figure out by the time this is being posted whether or not that was the result of that game. But St. Louis, absolutely impressive. Very deep and solid starting five. They can score the ball with multiple guys. I love the Billikens. And like you mentioned, you do too. Let's move on. Satan Hall, Marquette. Satan Hall, 70 to 63 win. They led for 93% of this game, Satan Hall did. Really just showing uh, 
how much control they had over Marquette, even though Marquette played a very good game themselves. Um, very close in that second half, could never quite um, get ahead of Satan Hall throughout that second half. Uh, again, when you play Satan Hall, you're playing Sandro's world. He had a great performance, 17, 6, and 7. The, the Big East really is just one quality game after another. It is turning out to be a heck of a conference. Yeah, and a little bit better than what we thought. And, I mean, you saw Sandro Mabuskayashvili. It wasn't just him tonight, or not tonight, in this game. I mean, Seton Hall had four players scoring double digits. That is a very good sign for them going forward. And, and Mabu ended up playing 39 of the 40 minutes in this game. So not only was this just a good win in general for Seton Hall, but it was an encouraging win because they played eight guys, four of them scored in double figures. So if this can continue going forward, Seton Hall is going to be a very tough out in a very tough Big East. As for Marquette, you know, they're a good team. We, we've seen that. They, they've, they've battled with every team they've played, including that big win over Wisconsin. So they, they got the job done. I know. Never mind. Uh, I'm thinking of Creighton. Uh, the, the two teams that play out West in the, the Big East always confuse me. But Marquette's a good team as well. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to fall into that quad one for for road wins. So I, I do think UCLA is going to lose out on that. But Marquette, certainly a team that could be around the bubble come tournament time. Yeah, we'll get to UCLA in a bit. And also both these teams, very tough games on Sunday. Both of them losing by game winners. Uh, what Saber did against Marquette and then Providence um, in overtime, getting a game-winning three at the last second. So it's just the Big East. I mean, it's incredible to watch. And we love the Friars. Go Friars. Yes. I mean, at FS1, by the way, that is going to be a hot spot for fantastic basketball the rest of the season. How about our Friday Little West Coast upset? Uh, BYU. This is a fantastic game from BYU. And I know you'll probably say something about San Diego State side as well. BYU just played extremely well in this one. Barcelo, 22-7-7, 22 bench points, a plus 14 rebounding margin. This was a fantastic game that BYU put up. And I absolutely think the crew are going to be a threat in the West Coast Conference. Not compared to Gonzaga. Let's not go too far with that. Um, I definitely think they are a solid number two team uh, in this conference. I would love to see BYU get a crack at maybe getting it at large. That will acquire some domination of the other teams in the West Coast Conference. But I love where the Cougars are going here. Yeah, they they look so good in this game against San Diego State. And what really impressed me was their defense in this game. They, they jumped up, I believe, over 10 spots on adjusted defense in Kempom because San Diego State had played very well, and they, they had a very good offense uh, offensive performance in the second half, mostly for Matt Mitchell, who looks like he's going to end up being the Mountain West Player of the Year. No, neither of us picked that, but it's looking like that's what's going to end up being the case. He, he just took over in the second half, and that's what he might have to do going forward because Trey Pulliam's not painting out like the point guard that San Diego State fans expected. Uh, Jordan Shackle had a terrible game. He's never going to have a worse shooting game the rest of the year, going one of five from three and one of nine from the floor, only three points. So I'm not too concerned about seeing his state. Like you mentioned, BYU had a great game. Got to tip your cap to them. You know, it's a shame that this is such a great and heated rivalry and there weren't allowed any fans at Viejas Arena this year. That's not the difference in this game because BYU controlled this game and were the better team throughout. 
But I mean, San Diego State came back down 15 and a half, tied the game up with two minutes left on that Matt Mitchell breakaway dunk. But then BYU, <laughs> BYU went on a 11 to one run to end the game. So they're they're an impressive team. They they played very well uh, defensively in that that stretch, especially first half. Really frustrating the SDSU offense. So you gotta look a lot. Gotta give a lot of credit to BYU. The presence of Matt Harms down low is is a big factor for sure. Yeah, ten points, eight assists for him. And he bring up a good point of just the the, the um, atmosphere of Fiat Arena really being missing for San Diego State. I absolutely think the Aztecs. Um, should this game have been played out with fans, I absolutely think they would have fed off that energy at least for a little bit uh, and made this game closer than a 10-point game. Uh, but as it is, big win for BYU uh, and, and really the entire West Coast Conference as that stands. We move on to what I thought was a fantastic game in the, out in the Atlantic 10 on Friday. That was Davidson, Rhode Island. Davidson a 67-58 win over the Rhode Island Rams. A very intriguing team. Um, maybe not some of the, not maybe not the upper echelon of the Atlantic 10, but we've talked about it before. The A-10's a really good conference this year with really good teams all up that top half. And these two teams are both examples of that. Yeah, and I think these are two important teams for the A-10 because these teams need to be good enough that when the top tier teams like St. Louis, Richmond, those teams that we've already mentioned, when they do beat them, we can look at it and say, that was a good win for their resume. And I mean, these two teams are good. Davidson's the better team. And I don't believe Fat Russell played in this game for Rhode Island. He did, uh, but he only went two of 11 from the floor. So not not the Fats Russell that we've come to know and expect. So it, it is a good win for Davidson. They didn't get Fats Russell at 100% though. I think that is a big key reason why Davidson was able to come out with the victory here. Yeah, and now how many teams do you think are going to have to really break away from the middle of the A-10 to really have St. Louis and Richmond have those good conference wins that are resume worthy? Well, I, I think those two teams are going to be uh, at-large teams as it is. But, I mean, you never know. I think there's definitely going to have to pick up some nice solid wins from uh, – just looking at it. I mean, Dayton, they're four and one. They've done a good job. VCU six and two. So they've done a good job. So, I mean, outside of that, all those other teams need to do their part. I mean, you need to see some wins from LaSalle, Rhode Island, like we just mentioned. Uh, I mean, St. Joe's is 0-4, but I mean, they played some tough games against some good teams like Auburn and Kansas. So those teams can certainly help along with George Mason and St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure, a lot of people like, so they could help out there as well. So, there's there's ways to go here for the A-10. They need those teams that I've just mentioned to pick up some key wins against teams like, you know, I mean, St. Joe's and Fordham, who hasn't even played a game yet. So there, there are some teams that definitely need to help out the A-10. Yeah, and really, of course, you had you got to avoid the really bad losses. You absolutely have to avoid those. But Davidson and Rolando are going to be pretty key players in the Rhode Island three and five. So maybe not as much as we had expected, but absolutely Davidson will be a big key in that. Gonzaga, Iowa in the Pentagon. My goodness, Gonzaga does it again. Um, an 11 point win, but they really controlled this game extremely well. 13 to 26 from three, Iowa four of 22. Not really uh, all that good, even though Gruga Garza 
went out of his mind again, 30 points, 10 rebounds. It's, I mean, it's just Gonzaga doing Gonzaga things here, Dom. And I didn't really learn anything from this game, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, we knew that Gonzaga was going to be able to score. And they did a good job defending the three ball from Iowa. Iowa only went 18, uh, only shot 18% from behind the arc. I mean, at, at that point, they were just kind of shooting three pointers because they were down. They went four of 22, but th- that's what you got to do to beat Iowa. You got to limit the three point shooting because, I mean, Luca Garza is going to score no matter what. And if you can limit the other guys, the role players, from making those threes, you have a chance to beat them. Now, I mean, they still scored 88 points because Iowa's really good offensively. And Gonzaga, I don't want to say took their foot off the gas pedal, but they're up 14 and a half and they're up by, I want to say 25 at one point. Like it was just not close. So these two teams are both very good. They're both final four candidates. Gonzaga, I think is a national contender uh, for a championship. I don't think I was that just because they can't play any defense and they'll, they'll get beat by some team in March. So I didn't learn anything from this game, but it was still certainly fun to watch before I went out and, did some umpiring. Absolutely. And this game really, it just proves just how good Gonzaga is. I mean, it's just, it's pretty much everyone. Suggs once again put in another fantastic performance, 27-7-4 and three steals. Absolutely fantastic performance from Gonzaga. The CBS Sports Classic in Cleveland produced two pretty solid games. Uh, North Carolina's winner of Kentucky first a 75 63 performance here i gotta be honest i was actually somewhat impressed with kentucky even in a losing performance um there are still some things they have to work out um shooting is one of those particularly from the free throw line 18 of 30 not a mark that i would look at as one of the better marks you could possibly have four players fouling out that's gonna be a big problem for kentucky um if, if they go on an sec uh, and I still think this team could absolutely get better as time goes on. I think Kentucky definitely put in their best performance they've had so far this season, but it still wasn't quite good enough. Yeah, and the foul trouble really caught up to them in the second half because they got outscored by 16 in the second half. We're winning at halftime. And like I, uh, I'm going to talk about them a little bit later. I mean, they had a really good second half against Notre Dame last week. They almost came back and won that game. And then you saw them this week, really good first half. And you're saying, oh, Kentucky may be turning the corner. They didn't. And Olivier Saar being in foul trouble, only playing 19 minutes. In my opinion, he's their best player. You know, he's that guy that can be outside, be down low. And those guys are really good in college basketball. Only two points out of him because he ended up fouling out was one of those four guys, like you mentioned. You just can't win games like that. So, I mean, the fact that they were able to keep it to only 12 points against a team like North Carolina – who some people say isn't that good. I think that's wrong. They're, they, they belong to be ranked. I don't think much higher than where they are. I don't think much lower than where they are. Right, right around that that 15 to 25 range is about where UNC is. So, you know, like you mentioned, Kentucky played decently well. The, the score isn't indicative of how they played. But the shooting, it's bad. Like you mentioned, the, three, the free throw line shooting, only 60%. That's awful. That's inexperience. And then the three-point shooting, it sucks. Oh, like I said, I'll talk about them a little bit later. And because, I mean, you're not going to play against a team like UNC, who also is not very good shooting the three ball, as they went 5 of 20. That's 25%. So Kentucky still got a lot of work to do. They have enough talent to figure it out, though. Yeah, and I think they're on the right track. I think they're starting to find something here. They just really got to keep improving, keep working. I ultimately think that Kentucky will get there 
It's just how much of an impact will they actually be in the SEC conference play? That would be a good question to see where they are uh, in their first uh, conference game um, coming very near down the line. UCLA, Ohio State, first off, solid win for Ohio State. Not going to knock the Buckeyes here. 31 bench points, very solid game from the bench, 25 of 50 from the field. Washington Jr., 14 points. Key coming in for 11 points. Very solid from Ohio State side. UCLA, this was not a terrible game for the Bruins. Um, 20 second chance points, that certainly isn't too bad. Um, 24 of 60 from the field could use some improvement. Uh, but I think it's a very pivotal game for UCLA because as of now, they still have the one quad one. And of course, right now, all sort of net projection you'll see uh, from Warren Nolan, there haven't necessarily been an official net record that's come out yet. All that really calculation from the Warren Nolan site. Um, that's really what's going on there. But I really think the Bruins, they could be, not I want to say in a little bit of trouble, because I think they'll be fine, but not having a potential quad one non-conference win could be a little bit of a bad sign here. And that was their issue last year was that they didn't have any good non-con wins. I was a believer in the Bruins team. First off, I thought they were going to win the Pac-12 tournament anyway, so they were going to get in. But if they didn't, especially if they lost an early matchup, I, I forget what the Pac-12 tournament was going to look like because it never played. Uh, so, but I think this is a very good team. I said they would win the Pac-12 on our Pac-12 preview show, preview show. I do remember that. And I mean, for them to come out and have Jaime Hawkes, who's one of the more dynamic scorers, only shoot two of nine from the floor and only get seven points. For them to be, you know, I don't want to say on the road because it wasn't, but they certainly traveled from Los Angeles, put up a good fight against a very good Ohio State team. And also Tiger Campbell only went one of 10 from the floor. To only lose by seven, I think this UCLA team is in the right spot. They won five straight after getting embarrassed. Uh, in their opener against San Diego State, uh, Ju Zhang's back. He only went 5-13, but still managed to score 13 points. So I, I think this team is going to be fine. They're one of the deepest teams and one of the more well-rounded teams in the nation. Still need a little bit more shooting from the outside because uh, they only shot 13 three-pointers. You're going to want to shoot a little bit more than that. But Ohio State's a good team, so you can't really fault the UCLA Bruins. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, it really just is a stinker for really a Pac-12 because I thought that was something they needed to do that, not just for themselves, but for the entire conference because this does seem to be a conference-wide issue yet again of this conference just not getting the amount of quality wins that they really need to get. Um, and really, some teams are also not avoiding bad losses. Um, Arizona State is a good example of that. Their shocking loss to UTEP. Uh, shocking in more ways than one, really. But they had a bigger issue, almost a bigger issue, the game before against Grand Canyon. They got lucky in that game as well. I mean, it's just a weird thing that we are once again heading down this path. And in a normal year, in a normal year, I think the hot takes have started coming of people saying the Pac-12 just isn't good enough. However, I, I think that the less games that we have, the, the more the eye tests will have to be used in the committee. I think that could very, very much benefit uh, the Pac-12 conference when it comes time to sit down and make the bracket. Uh, what are some of your initial thoughts on what's going on with the conference this year? It's not good. It's not as good as we thought it was. I mean, let's just 
start right there. I mean, Washington, a team who everyone thought was going to be good last year and wasn't going to be as good this year, they stink. I mean, Arizona has been all right. Stanford and USC have been all right. Arizona State has not performed expectations at all. UCLA has been, like I said, all right. Uh, two, two losses to good teams and then wins outside of that are doing itself some favors. And Oregon's been solid to all right. So, I mean, the top of the conference hasn't been where we thought it was going to be. The middle, some of the middle tier teams haven't been where we thought they were going to be. I mean, Utah got absolutely crushed by, by BYU, who we just mentioned is a good team and they've certainly impressed so far. But this conference is struggling and it's not heading in, a right, in the right direction. And with not a ton of good non-conference wins, like you've just mentioned, and not having a very solid, you know, conference as it stands in general, this conference could find themselves on the wrong side of uh, Selection Sunday and only getting three, four or five teams in when they should be getting six or seven. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for the conference because – I mean, you look at two years ago, the last NCAA tournament, I mean, it just was brutal. I mean, Oregon had to really steal a bid for the conference to even get three. And really in the lead up, um, the lead up into that year, I honestly thought a pac Chubb could have very well been a one bid. Uh, and, and they would have been a lot better off should the NCAA tournament have gone on last year, maybe six or, or around that mark. So it's just yet again, another example of the Pac-12 just not being as good and really, no teams ranked in the AP poll, I think, is a perfect illustration of where this conference is. And it's, it's really a disaster. Let's just get out of the way. It's a disaster uh, for a so-called powered conference. And the longer this goes on, the streak of not having teams in the AP poll, I think the more we'll have to start using quotation marks around the word power because it really is starting to get to be that point. Uh, for Arizona State in particular, I don't know what it is at this point um, because it's almost everything. Uh, it's just a complete shocker. And I wish there was one way to really fix this. Um, if motivation is the issue, I think what Coach Hurley should do is, you know, get a post, get a huge post for the your practice gym, go to warrenowen.com, print your current team sheet, and just blow up on a poster board, put that on your practice gym. Because if your coach want to play in March, that non coverage resume is not how you get that done and update that throughout the season. I mean, show the players what you're being evaluated on, on one piece of paper, that magical resume sheet, the magical team sheet that the committee uses. Show them that. You have the website, you have the resources available to you publicly. I would just go there at this point because if these guys were, I mean, if March is the goal for these guys, if the players Desperately want to play in the NCAA tournament. You have got to find a way to show them that what they're doing right now isn't working. And we have someone joining us that will give us a little bit more perspective on what Arizona State is doing, as well as the entire Pac-12 conference. And that is an Arizona State basketball writer for the Walter Qualcite Sports Network. We bring in Griffin Peters. Griffin, it is good to have you on the program. No, Nick, thank you. Appreciate appreciate you guys having me on. I'm looking forward to uh, talking some college hoops with you guys. You know, we're all big fans of the sport and uh, can't wait to can't wait to hop on and discuss some stuff. So let's get into it. Absolutely. So the start of it with, with Arizona State, th this this whole week really hasn't necessarily been the greatest. I mean, the Grand Canyon game, which I honestly quite think they should have lost that game, but really mm -hmm. Mary Martin turned it on another level in the second half. 
Absolutely. And then the UTEP game was just absolutely shocking just to see what in the world was going on. The UTEP game in particular, did that game sort of remind you of the St. Mary's game of uh, the, the Phoenix Arena uh, last year? Because that's kind of the kind of vibes I really got from that. Yeah, it, it's that game was weird. It, you go in, and I think it, I think this game's even more weird than that one. I mean, yeah, St. Mary's goes in and they dominate Arizona State from you know tip off to the last buzzer. And this one, it looked like at times you know ASU, and this is a better ASU team than last year, in my opinion, as far as what the roster entails and all that. But you go and you look, and UTEP is a team that you know kind of sneaky. You know they'll, they'll play hard, but they're nothing special and ASU goes out there and they just had another one of those cold shooting nights. And when once Bobby Hurd's offense gets into that kind of struggle, it, it's tougher than the win games because their presence down low this year has just not been great. Anytime you look at all the games Arizona state's played and whatever big pens on the other team, they've just played really well. And you look at the San Diego state game, you look at Villanova, Jeremiah Robinson, who's one of the best players in the country. So you can expect him to play well, but he dominates them there. Um, and then you look at the UTEP game as well. I mean, that that's just – they get dominated in the paint, and that's when they can't shoot. It's a big problem because then they can't control the tempo, and they just get out of sorts. And that's just what happened on that night, another cold shooting night. And I would say that loss – they're very similar because they're kind of out of the blue. And the St. Mary's one's really weird because Alonzo Verge scored 41, but, you know, a little bit of an empty 41 if you're asking me. But that game was definitely weird because – Arizona State was considered one of the best teams in the Pac-12, one of the favorites to potentially win it, one of the, you know, sleepers for a potential Sweet 16 Elite Eight run just with how much talent they have. But they just haven't really seen the click yet. And that loss to UTEP, I think, is the perfect demonstration of that. They really need to start getting some things going uh, before Pac-12 play because they are, their non-con just wasn't that strong, and they're going to have to pick it up here at some point. Right, and I look at I look at Arizona State's team from last year and this year, and I agree with you. This team's more talented, but the two of the key players that they lost from last year's team, you mentioned the big man, and that falls under Ramelo White, who led the team with almost nine rebounds per game last year. And then you've mentioned the poor shooting so far in the year. Rob Edwards was their best three-point shooter who, you know, at least would shoot three-pointers every game. He shot 36% from three-point last year. So we may have underestimated the loss of those two guys coming into the season. Cause I know for a fact, like, you know, you had Remy Martin, and Alonzo Verge coming back. Those guys should be good enough shooting the ball. Kamani Lawrence will come back being healthy. He'll be fine. Marcus Bagley comes in. We'll be fine rebounding. And it just hasn't been that way to start in the loss of Bagley has, or his injury has certainly impaired that team so far to start. But we saw last year team really hit its stride of pack full of play. It looks like they're going to have to do that again this year. Yeah, and, and for me, it's just going to be really tough, really. Even if they do go, let's say, 14 and 6, 15 and 5, you're going to have to find the right combination of good wins and avoiding bad losses. It's going to be really intriguing to me to see what they can really do there. So, Griffin, if you had to pick just one area with this team uh, that absolutely needs improving almost straight away before their next game, of course, not against Utah's, that game got postponed. Mm-hmm. What, what where would it be it, it for me it's 100 percent interior defense and rebounding so basically little things when it comes to rebounding and then the big man down low so Jalen Graham I think is a guy that has a lot of potential um, but he just seems to not understand at times defensive positioning he gets in foul trouble a lot and that puts 
you know, a lot of pressure on Bobby Hurley. Chris Austin comes in and I think he does a decent job at rim protecting as well. But, you know, it just like Dom said, the loss of Romello White is huge. And another one I think is a little bit underrated is the loss of Mickey Mitchell, a guy that can really go in there. He was a very good rebounder, very good on defense, would do the little things, could step out and guard anyone on the perimeter, very switchable. Someone Bobby Hurley had as a Swiss Army knife, kind of a secret weapon. They think Chris Austin could potentially be that guy. I know the comparison's really easy because, you know, white guy that can do some a lot of different stuff off the bench. But Mickey Mitchell was a little bit more of a versatile player, I think. Uh, Austin's shown some potential, but they need to step up that interior rebounding and defense. Like I said, you know, they go out there and uh, every game that they've played against the big, I mean, Nathan Mensah, San Diego state, I know Dom knows about him, but like, I mean, this guy 17 and 15, that is, you can't have that happen. That that's just a dominant performance there, especially when you come in on your home court against a tight a top 25 matchup. That's a big key for them because when Arizona state's not shooting well, where you got to step up is interior defense and rebounding. So you can still control the pace of the game. They haven't been able to do that. So when they shoot bad, even in games against Grand Canyon, where they, like, like you said, Nick, they got lucky. Um, but Remy Martin hit a good shot. And that's, you know, that's just kind of what it's going to come down to. And Arizona State's too good of a team to be getting lucky, getting wins against teams like Grand Canyon. And then getting unlucky where they're not making shots and the same problems occur. And then they lose a game to Utah by a serviceable amount, especially in that second half. They played pretty poorly. So I would say the center of all the epicenter of all the problems starts with the interior defense and rebound it's just been a struggle for them so far and i'll just say that i mean if, if that's if this persists i can tell you one team that is going to utterly dominate uh asu in the first 10 minutes that's stanford yeah With williams and De silva i mean are you kidding me yeah that's a problem to where i almost think that asu is not equipped with their roster to play stanford at all i think mm-hmm. that could be a totally uh um, crazy game and not for the good if you're an, a- an ASU fan. So, no, yeah, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Another team I'd like to mention that is actually going to pose a lot of matchup problems for ASU is USC with Evan and Isaiah Mobley. Those two, I, I said it before when I, I was just talking about ASU hoops and I, I said, I'm looking at their Pac-12 schedule. I said, you know, you look at UCLA, you look at Oregon, right? And then those are, you know, two great teams themselves. But I think ASU matches up pretty well with them for what their personnel is. You know, Arizona, too, has looked pretty good here early in the season. But I, like you said, a team like Stanford, so good on the perimeter, too. Zaire Williams has looked really good. And they've got the Silva down low and many other options. They're very balanced. They are, they're a tough matchup problem for them. And then USC, I think, I think those are the two toughest matchups for them in the Pac-12 as far as teams go. And a lot of people in the preseason wouldn't have looked at, you know, I mean, Stanford was getting some hype, but I think it's their, their stature is a little bit raised now from what we've seen. Um, but going through the preseason, no one would have thought, oh yeah, Stanford and USC are going to be the two teams that would probably give ASU the most trouble. I think those are by far the two teams. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Stanford is going to be a real problem for them. Absolutely. And let's talk about the Pac-12 as a whole a little bit. Um, the UCLA-Ohio State game, I thought you'd say had to get that one to get at least a guarantee uh, as far as a major win that could go into quadrant one almost definitively. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, they don't have that. Marquette's a good win, but will Marquette be good enough to stay in quadrant one? I'm not too sure. And that's really just a, a, one little example because this conference just doesn't have that as far as their non-conference. As far as number of bids, quality of teams, number of ranked teams going forward, what do you think are the realistic expectations going forward for the Pac-12? You know, it's, you know, that's the toughest thing because Pac-12 always has to make their, like their 
top teams, they have to make themselves out in non-conference because always the Pac-12, they do this in football too. All they do is beat up on each other, right? It's so crazy. It's so hectic. It's one of the craziest conferences in the country year in and year out. Oregon goes in, you know, they, they play a Washington team close, which Washington is not very good this year. And, you know, they go in, you know, San Francisco gives them a game. Like they, 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 they haven't looked very good for what everyone is saying. And then, you know, Stanford, I would say has looked impressive. UCLA, Chris Smith needs to do more for them. A guy that's was projected to be one of the conference player of the year candidates alongside with Remy Martin. Uh, he just really hasn't filled that role yet. And it's, really weird to see Mick Cronin's squad that was so good at the end of last year at times look really good, but you could see in that San Diego state game to open up the year, it just, it didn't seem like they had that same edge. I don't think they gained that yet. They had a good win against Marquette, like you said, but is Marquette good enough to sustain a quad one stature? Who knows? So how do I see the, it's going to be a hectic regular season, you know, teams like Arizona, USC, Colorado don't sleep on McKinley Wright's a very good point guard can lead that team to win in any, and on any given night in the PAC 12. Uh, it's going to be a battle and it's going to be whatever team I think gets hot and stays hot in the middle. Cause you're going to start off. I think ASU is a team that you look, look at it because if they get hot offensively, they're going to be tough to stop. If they figure out the defense, it's going to be even harder, but their offense alone is enough of a challenge. Uh, I, I think Stanford is really just one of the most complete teams right now. So looking forward, that's going to be tough. Um, UCLA and Oregon are obviously players. It, it just all comes down to who can get rolling and who can figure it out because it seems like everyone's up in shambles right now and that they're all in the same spot. So that's the good news for ASU and Oregon and UCLA, the kind of the three favorites is that everyone's kind of in the same position right now. No one knows what they are, who they are. So they're all going to have to figure it out starting conference play. Now ASU is going to have to wait a little bit longer than most after their postponement. They were supposed to play Tuesday. Won't play till December 31st. Now that's when they'll travel up to Pullman. They'll play Washington state. So they've got a little bit to figure it out, which might be a blessing in disguise for them. Bagley's probably going to get healthy and be ready to go. So that might be an advantage for them, but, you know, taking almost two weeks off from play is also has a disadvantage. So it's going to be tough, but it's whoever, I really think whoever finds their identity first and gets it figured out is going to have a nice shot to win the conference because it just seems like everyone doesn't, they're just kind of up in the air. They're in flood. They're flustered right now. Yeah. And we've seen mixed results too of teams coming out of quarantine some teams have played really well. Some teams haven't quite met the expectations. So that will be very interesting to see as far as ASU is concerned. If you had to peg a number of bids that you would expect to the Pac-12 right now, where would that be? Oh, man. Okay. So, I, th- I mean, as weird as Arizona State's looked, I think they'll get in. I think Oregon gets in. I trust Dana Altman. I uh, trust the talent on that roster. I think UCLA will get in. I think they'll figure it out. So I've got, you know, there's three right there. I think Stanford gets in four. I think USC gets in. Um, I, I, I believe in USC. Andy Enfield's had a great program there the last couple of years. All they do is seem to find a way to make it into the tournament. I think they get in. I think this might be, so. I think Arizona gets in and I've got them as a six bid league. And I think Arizona gets in. They've looked really good. It's a team that a lot of question marks came in, a bunch of transfers, not a whole lot of returners. It's a, you know, and Sean Miller's kind of been under fire for, you know, his, his whole FBI thing, you know, that's looming, but Arizona's gone. They played some good basketball this year. UTEP challenged them, but they, they've handled everything. It's going to be interesting to see what they look like in conference play from what I've seen right now. I think I'd give them a nod for a potential tournament team. So I, right now I would see six. Colorado will be a tough out in Pac-12 play. They're going to be tough night in and night out. I don't think I see them as a team making a tournament, though. But they're they're probably a bubble watch team, if anything. But I don't even know if they'll get there. Dom, I'll pose the same question to you. Well, I mean, 
I, it's obviously been forever since we were doing our, especially our power five conference previews, but our conference previews in general, I think I said it was a six team league. Uh, it's probably going to be four or five, in my opinion, you know, one of those teams like Arizona, Stanford, or USC, I think will find themselves on the bubble on the wrong side of it too, just because, I mean, this conference doesn't have enough non-conference wins that any of your wins within the conference are going to stand out as much, especially with road wins in conference won't be as strong on your resume without fans, uh, seemingly like that's what it's going to look like. So it's probably going to be four or five teams. Like Griffin said, I, I do believe the three that almost everyone projected to be at the top of the Pac-12 in ASU, Oregon, and UCLA will, will get in. The, there's too much talent on those three teams. And then a combination of either Arizona, Stanford, or USC will definitely get in as well. I mean, the Pac-12 has too many good programs to not have four bids uh, in, in the term. This isn't the Pac-12 of 2016 and 17. This is 2020. There's too much talent in this conference. Yeah, and, and for me, this may be an adjustment I have to make uh, through, through normal years of assessing teams. Maybe the eye test will come in handy for the Pac-12. When I look at it right now, I mean, I'm thinking three, quite frankly. Just the non-conference, just it just doesn't add up. And I think there's going to be too much cannibalization going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that the amount of cannibalization we have in the Pac-12 will determine how many bids this league has. The more cannibalization, the worse off you are. Uh, I just think this company's established those top three teams or so to, you know, at least give themselves a fighting chance of getting that fourth. I mean, it's just, there's just too few opportunities for quad one home opportunities. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to get it done on the road to me. And, and that's, and that's if they can't avoid the bad losses. Uh, so it's going to be a very tough for the Pac-12. I don't think this is a point where we have two years ago to where there's chatter of Pac-12 being potentially one bid or anything like that. I don't think we'll get to that point if we do something seriously wrong there. Um, but I think three is probably the number, and maybe that gets adjusted down if the Pac-12 continues to not have teams ranked. It's just going to be one of those years for the Pac-12 where a lot of things are going to be really in fluctuation. So – um, the next thing I have on the agenda here, Christmas. Oh, my goodness. College basketball fans are getting extremely lucky this year of a four-game Big Ten slate. What will you look out of that slate uh, on your end, Griffin? Um, you know, big, the Big Ten is just an insane conference this year. I mean, you look there top to bottom. It's just Michigan State's looked like one of the best teams in the country. Iowa goes in against Gonzaga the other day. And yeah, they, they like gave up 99 points, which is, you know, one thing about Iowa is they can play defense, but man, they put up 88. Luca Garza looks great. He, he's been unreal. If, if he could have taken a step up from last year, like who would have thought that he's done it and he looks unbelievable. But this slate Wisconsin, Michigan state, that is a, that is definitely, I think the game to watch there. And it's the one first thing in the morning. It's like it's like waking up, open up a Christmas gift, right? It's, you're so excited, and that's the that's the first one you get right under the Christmas tree. So super excited about that one, Wisconsin. You know they lost. They had that game against Marquette where they lost, which is like probably Marquette's best win. That's that's helping them stay in that quad one status for UCLA. So they're really hoping Wisconsin like stays relevant here. But Michigan, I mean Michigan State is so impressive. Tom Izzo's got such a deep team. This is one of his deepest teams I think he's had. They look really good. Um, Rocket Watts has been a guy that I, I said in the preseason, I think Michigan State will go as far as he can go if he can really elevate and 
help fill the void of Cassius Winston because that's a big void to fill. And I don't think Rocket Watts is necessarily the pick and roll ball handler and distributor um, that Cassius Winston was, but he's a guy that can definitely go off the dribble and score at will. And if he can, you know, adjust and become more of a playmaker, which I think he has to a certain point, I don't know, I still don't think he's a bona fide playmaker, but that man can score and he's a difference maker for that team for sure. And he's looked good. Um, so I, Michigan State is a team I was actually a little bit lower on than where they are to start, but they've definitely shown me this is a top top four, top five, top six team for sure. That is going to be an interesting matchup that sets the tone for the rest of the Big Ten season, I think, for both sides, if they can go in there and win that game. If Wisconsin gets a big road upset there, that's going to really propel them, I think, allow them to get back inside the top ten and probably stay there until at least the Big Ten tournament, And then depending on when anything happens. But you look at the rest of the games, um, Iowa plays Minnesota. Minnesota is always, I feel like, just sneaky good. So you can't fall asleep against them. But I think Luka Garza and the Hawkeyes end up dominating. They got so much offense. It's crazy. Um, yeah, you're probably, they're probably going to give up one of the most points in the country. They're not, they're not going to look good in Ken Palm defensively. Um, but man, that team can score and they're a joy to watch. I love watching them play because it's just high paced basketball. Maryland it feels like you're watching an NBA game, kind of. Yeah. I mean, you see all, I mean, Wies Camp. Luca Garza, you know, I mean, those guys can just put up buckets left and right. And it's just a joy to watch, but it's a solid schedule. You know, Maryland Purdue is a decent game, but I think that's just your run on the mill, big 10, big 10 game right there. And then, you know, um, Nebraska and Michigan, I don't know. I'd like to see, you know, Michigan going on the road. We'll see. I'm interested to keep, keep my eye on them throughout the rest of big 10 play. I don't think Nebraska is a team they should have too much trouble with, but I'm interested to see how they fare against, you know, teams like Wisconsin, Michigan State, and um, like Iowa, Illinois. Like, I'm, I'm interested to see how they fare against those teams because I think they can handle the middle of the pack, Big 12, or Big 10 teams, excuse me. But um, how are they going to fare against the elites is the question for me. So I'm keeping my eye on Michigan, but they should win that game as well. It, it's, it's a great slate, but I think the best game that everyone, if you need to pin a game to watch, is that first game on the slate, Michigan State, Wisconsin. Yeah. And two, two, th- hold on. two things to note is that Michigan State is actually losing by 13 on the road against Northwestern right now. Oh, and, then, and then, you know, you, you mentioned that late game with Iowa and Minnesota. You're going to want to not eat too much food at your nice thing, uh, Christmas feast because there's going to be a lot of points put up in this matchup. You got Marcus Carr, one of the best scorers in the nation as well, going up against that Iowa defense. Like you mentioned, they just refuse to play any defense. So a lot, lot, lot of points in that game. Uh, these games are all going to be worth watching. There's also going to be NBA games on, and we know your Vikings are also playing. Oh uh, yeah, in this game. So, uh, not only is there just great college basketball, great Big Ten college basketball at that, a lot of great stuff to watch during Christmas. In case there's less relatives at your Christmas party. Yeah, and and finally, this this is going to be for all of us um, staying in the Christmas spirit. Uh, if there is a gift that you had to give to any college basketball team in the country. As a Christmas present, what would you give them? I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay really right where I was at. If I could, if I'm gonna give Iowa the gift of defense, I think they'd win a national championship. I think they. I think their offense is honestly on par with Gonzaga's. I mean, they lose 99 to 88 the other day, and then it's you know you can't be upset scoring 88 points. You're not gonna look. Oh yeah, we didn't shoot the ball well or whatever. You can't say that. Like we couldn't stop them. So I think honestly that those two offenses, I mean, obviously I think Gonzaga, you look at them, you'll probably say on paper, they're better. I mean, Kispert, Timmy, 
Jalen Suggs, Nembhard. I mean, they, they go so deep. That team's so talented. But I think, honestly, you can make the same case with Iowa, how deep they are. You know, this is an offensive team that is lethal. Here's the difference. Gonzaga can play a little bit of defense at times, um, but Iowa just can't. So if I could give any Christmas gift to anybody, any team in the country, if I could give Iowa some defense, it, they would be so much better off. I think, honestly, what holds Iowa back from getting themselves into the Final Four or even maybe Elite Eight, they're so upset from because if they run into a guy, like let's say if they ran into Seton Hall a couple of years ago, Miles Powell, I think they're just in grave danger. You have no one to stop them. That just, that just screams upset alert. When it comes to March, if you can't have someone stop an elite perimeter scoring team, if they get matched up like Creighton, they're in a lot of trouble because they, shoot the, they just shoot the ball so well. So that's what scares me about Iowa, but that was the Christmas gift. I can give them that would 100% be it. My gift is going to be, I'm going to give a shooter to Kentucky because this team just cannot shoot for the life of them. They're now one in five, which is the first time since the 1930s or 1940s. And I mean, our entire time of growing up watching college basketball, we've watched John Calipari just take these teams so far with just no experience and it's catching up to him so far this year. No, no shooters at all on this team. I mean, you're looking at all their top scorers. None of them are shooting above 30% from behind the arc, except for Devin Askew, but he only has six and a half points per game. So even at that point, it's like, at what volume is he shooting the three ball? So if I could give any, anyone anything, I'm going to give Kentucky a shooter because I think that's all they're missing to be a top two or three team in an SEC that I don't think is that good this year. Currently ranked 73rd in adjusted offense on Ken Palm. And if you just had one guy that could shoot consistently, 30 just even 30 percent from three-point line get 10 points per game this team would be so much better because I mean they've just been embarrassing like their losses have been bad they almost came back and beat Notre Dame they didn't though that's the key thing to point out they don't have a lot of time to figure it out otherwise they honestly could not be playing in mid-March which is weird to say Uh, so they, they I would give them a shooter and I'm going to give Big 12 teams a chance to play a non-conference game. This, this conference is a never-ending gauntlet. I mean, you look at what Iowa State almost pulled off against West Virginia. I mean, Iowa State, that's not necessarily a team you would be considering as one of the better teams at Big 12. And yet they competed for almost that entire game on the road. Um, I mean, it's just a conference that it's like the Big 10 in that almost every team is pretty darn good. But the fact that you pretty much have to play only against nine other teams, they're all pretty darn good. It is a never-ending gauntlet. And I think it's even more so than the Big Ten, because at least in the Big Ten, supposedly um, teams like a Northwestern or Nebraska, you know, could give you an opportunity to, you know, get a little solid win. But obviously Michigan State, as a recording, isn't quite experiencing that same kind of luck. So, I mean, the Big 12 is just – it's a fun conference to watch. And every game is going to be so compelling and almost down to the wire. And just a chance to kind of, you know, take a break from that stressful conference game, that stressful Big 12 game, and just play a non-conference game. I think it would be very useful for some of these teams. Maybe not at Kansas State because, you know, they kind of lost against a D2 team at home, and that's <laughs> kind of bad. <laughs> but, I mean, every other team, I think they could just use a break from that stressful Big 12 play because I really think the Big 12 is – the toughest gauntlet in college basketball from a year-end, year-out perspective. Big Ten yeah. this year, extremely deep, could definitely make the case of that college being the best in all college basketball. But 
I look at that Big 12 and that gauntlet, it's just, my goodness, good luck getting any sort of thing going on a uh, consecutive basis. Uh, so we thank Griffin for coming on. Of course, you can check all of his work uh, for the long-term Quantkite Sports Network online. I'm sure he, you tweet out all your, your great yeah. work, and we appreciate you coming on the program. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. And one thing about, I'll say about the Big 12, someone needs to let Brady Manick know Halloween passed a couple months ago because he's still dressed up as Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thanks anyway, appreciate it. Yep, thank you, guys. And we thank Peter Griffin, as always, for his insight. Um, Kyle's gave him a little bit of a, of a few other questions as well, but we thank him for coming on. Time now for our weekly awards once again, our team of the week, our mid-major of the week, and our individual performances of the week. I will let you start with your team of the week. I'm going to go – well, I, I hope I'm not stealing your team here. I'm going to go with Rutgers here. Uh, they went 2-0 this week, beat both Maryland, which is a, you know, a decent win, uh, Big Ten Big Ten win, and then, of course, their big win over Illinois this morning, Sunday morning, depending on whenever you're listening to this show. And for me, one thing that stood out is that they beat Maryland in a lower scoring game, game in the 60s. And then they go out and they scored 91 points to outscore Illinois. So they can beat you in multiple ways. And it's reflected in Ken Palm because they are now up near the top. And this is not where anyone expected to see Rutgers. They're not ranked 17th in Ken Palm. And they're ranked 23rd in adjusted offense and 15th in adjusted defense. So you're really seeing a Rutgers team that can win in multiple ways. They have a great win over Syracuse, and Syracuse has looked very good to start the season as well, a team that kind of flew under our radar. So Rutgers, they, they've built a strong resume early, and if they can continue to build on it, they'll be a single-digit seed come March for sure. Yeah, and I went with a team that went well in, in, in not conference play now is Wisconsin. You want to show people how you, uh, how you rebound, perfect way to do it. Um, Lavella, Chicago. I don't think this game will be quite as good of a win as maybe we had thought originally. Chicago hasn't quite lived up to uh, perhaps what many people were expecting in, in a two or three in the Missouri Valley, but that still could be a decent win for Wisconsin. And then what they did against Louisville. I mean, come on, that was ridiculous. Oh. I mean, that, that really just showed that Wisconsin is, they're still here. They're still a massive contender in the big 10. And if you sleep on them, they will whoop you. Uh, that's a fantastic win that was uh, for Wisconsin. No, and I'll, I'll mention about that that win. Like, I'm not discrediting Wisconsin's win over Louisville, but Louisville was coming out of their quarantine. They came out flat, and it was a better Wisconsin team killed them. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the Badgers hunted the birds. Yeah, and, and I think there's a very interesting thing here is that we have seen mixed results of teams coming out of quarantine. Um, we have seen teams like Louisville absolutely stink. And then we've seen teams like Gonzaga. I mean, you're coming, you're coming out of an extended time off uh, against a team like Iowa, and you fight out dominate them. And Iowa's one of the better teams in the country. So I, I do think there's a little bit of a factor here, but I honestly think it's more neutralized now to where I'm not saying it's not a factor, but it's not as much of a factor as I think as some people would have thought it was because we've seen those mixed results. We have seen teams play really well out of quarantine so far this season uh and I, and I still think that could be a very good win depending on what Louisville does in the ACC oh it'll be it'll be a good win but for me it, it kind of signifies that we just don't know like it, it's going to depend on the team and you you won't really know 
And so, like, like I said, we, we do not promote gambling on this podcast, but if you do gamble, just stay clear of the games involving teams that are coming out of quarantine because, you know, you figured, hey, an Iowa team that's averaging like, you know, 90 points per game going up against Gonzaga, who hasn't played a, a game in a week and a half, who's going to win that game? And Gonzaga just comes out and throttles them. So, so just, just stay clear. You know, we, we don't promote gambling. However, we, we promote winning. So uh, Iowa overs are still good. And uh, uh, they, 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 they went over the 170 with, uh, with about six minutes left of the game. So that, that was, that was good to see, but, but just stay clear of the teams that are coming out of quarantine or, or the opposing team. Cause you just don't know. And you don't want to gamble on things you don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, stay clear of the money line in that case. <laughs> Maybe not the over-under, especially with a team like Iowa. Uh, my mid-major of the week is going to go to Winthrop. Um, um, first off, they completed a, a two-game sweep with UAC Upstate, which we will know a lot more uh, as the season goes on on whether that is more of a tougher task um, than I definitely think it could be. But a two-game sweep is definitely on the scoff fat. And then what they did against Furman. Um, that really took Furman directly out of any at-large consideration, even if you still had them after them blowing their last chance to get a quality win. That really just blew Furman completely out of that conversation. And that's a very good week for Winthrop overall. Um, you know, those wins get continue building that momentum. And that Furman win, that's not even a scoff back. Furman's still a very good team. They've played some powered conference teams very, very close. And in the case of the Alabama if they hadn't had one of their key players style out, they'd probably win that game. So very good week for Winthrop. Yeah, it's a nice performance from them. My mid-major team of the week is going to be East Tennessee State. I predict them to win their uh, their MTE to start the year, and they sucked. So that was fun. But this week they went 3-0. They had a great win over Gardner-Webb, one by six game, one by six points in Gardner-Webb. Solid team every year, so great win for them. They have two other wins this week. They were over D2 schools, but anytime you go 3 0 as a mid major in a week, certainly worthy of this recognition. They are my mid major of the week. And uh, their point guard, Sloan, scored 18 points in that win over Gardner Webb. Just wanted to give them a quick shout out. So shout out to East Tennessee State. Yeah, obviously, those those games against other teams outside of division. Sometimes they are, you know, dominating. Sometimes they are um, Kansas State. Um, uh, and, and so I think that really just shows that, you know, just keep racking up the wins. Um, and so that's going to be a big thing as time goes on. The individual performance of the week, I will let you start. I'm going to go with my guy. I've talked about him a ton on this podcast. It's going to be Kofi Coburn of Illinois. And, you know, I looked around, I, I was like, I, I don't want to seem like that biased guy that, that, that picks uh, Coburn because you guys know how big of a fan I am of this Illinois team, despite having zero affiliation with the, the lovely state of Illinois. Not that I would know it's a lovely state because I've never been. Uh, but 33 points from Coburn against Minnesota in that just absolutely crushing victory over them. And then in Sunday's matchup against Rutgers, scored 17. That's an average of 25 per game. Very solid performance from Coburn. When he stays out of foul trouble, he's going to be a beast. Uh, wasn't as big uh, in this performance against Rutgers, and that's part of the reason why they lost. However, Illinois, in their three losses, their freshman, Adam Miller, has not made a single three-pointer in any of those losses. So he is certainly a key part of that team. When he goes, this team goes. When he doesn't, this team sucks. Uh, they also need to clean up some stuff on the defensive end of the floor. 
I also think that starts with Coburn, but absolute menace down low on offense. And I'm going to go with Stanford's Oscar the Silva in their game against CSUN. Um, this was a very solid game. Stanford did have control, but the Silva blew it out of the water. 32 points, that rebound, perfect 14 of 14 from the line. If the Silva doesn't put in that performance, that's a much closer game. And I do think that is a little bit concerning. But again, we've said it before. Stanford, they have those pieces. They are an extremely efficient team. Um, and I, I really think that that was a quality performance. And if the Silva had to put that in, who knows what that game turns into? That could turn into an upset. And we've all, we have seen the West Coast majors do be up on some of the crappier Pac-12 teams. Uh, so a good performance in the Silva, really leading Stanford to victory in, in that game. So that and takes care of that. Hold now, on, time. Hold, on, oh, hold yeah. on. You know, if none of us take Luca Garza, I got to give my Garza update. And I know we talked about him, but he scored 30 points against Gonzaga, uh, shooting 72% from the floor. And then against Northern Illinois, the, this was last Sunday. I don't know if we talked about it, but he scored 23 points, eight rebounds, and only 20 minutes of action. Uh, Luca Garza absolute beast he's gonna win national player of the year uh that's my luca garza watch update Thank yeah you. yeah girls that win it if sucks doesn't beat him to it <laughs> that'll be a great discussion and another show i'm sure uh but now it's time it is now time for our weekly predictions and over the course of this past week i mean i tell you what last week we kind of slumped into to, to the show this week we both kind of rose to the occasion and i am actually now on top with as of recording a 23 and 11 record, Donson in our 22 and 12. Not too bad for the two of us at this point, entering now our fourth week of game predictions. And of course, we try to give you seven games in the week, seven games for the weekend. It will be the calendar we alter a little bit. Normally, say the weekend for Saturday and Sunday, of course, with the Christmas weekend coming up, we will predict all four games of, our, of the Big Ten Christmas slate on the show. So, of course, if you want to wait till that, you will want to stick around for that yeah, for yeah. sure. You got that overtime win for Creighton over UConn, correct? Which is where the difference in our standings yes. come. I, I will not lie. I was sweating some bullets in that game. Because um, yeah. Bo Knight was absolutely on top of his game in that one uh, for, for UConn. But Creighton pulling it out in the extra session. Uh, so let's start off with a, with a Monday game. Try to get our mid-major fixed for a year. Murray State, Austin P. Two game, two teams, I should say, in the OVC that were expected to be some of the better teams in the entire conference, if not of the mid-majors. But since then, Murray State's sort of stayed the course. Austin P. they've struggled a little bit. Now, the first meeting was a 30-point win for Murray State, which was quite something. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I'm taking Murray State, by the way. Um, and, and Austin P. they have really struggled, especially defensively. Uh, I think we kind of saw this coming. Um, we both were still pretty high in Austin P, but Austin P's lost to Florida A&M on Tuesday. Really, to me, it just seals the cake. I got to go Murray State on this one. I don't think it'll be quite as dominant as 30 points, um, but I do like Murray State here. I will also take Austin P with you. A team, I, I think I had them in second, and I think you had them in third in our OBC prediction, so good for you uh you might you might you might look a little bit better come uh come march when our when that uh final standings come around but i will take murray state yeah uh and and I, again it should it should just still, still be a decent game hopefully it's not a 30 point blowout 
Uh, but we are both for Murray State. On Tuesday, West Virginia, Kansas. Both of these teams pulling out some Big 12 wins over the past week, which, of course, is always very important. Um, and they were both very, very close against a couple different teams for Kansas, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Iowa State team that really gave them the heck of a game. So what's the feeling on this one? I'm going to run with Kansas here. You know, West Virginia, they really love that home. They're one of the few teams with a strong home court advantage when you go up to Morgantown to play there without the fans compared to just, uh, you know, going to Kansas and Lawrence. But I do think Kansas is the better team here. Both these teams really good defensively and have pretty solid offenses as well. I'm going to take Kansas in this one. It's going to be a close game, and I look forward to watching this one. Yeah, I'm going to take Kansas as well. Again, two solid defenses. So if you like the over-under, I mean, maybe that under may be a good idea there. But Well, the, the total is going to be low. That's the thing about Vegas. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it looks very interesting to see where, where that ends up being there. I will take Kansas. Texas Tech, Oklahoma next in our radar. Of course, Texas Tech falling to Kansas. They really impressed, and I will take Texas Tech here. Yeah, I will as well. I hope these picks aren't too chalky for us, but, I mean, Texas Tech has certainly been impressive. Their two losses are to Houston and to Kansas, who are two of the best teams in the nation. So I think Texas Tech rebounds here against the Sooners. And an in-state rival in the ACC, that being North Carolina and NC State. I got to ride with the Tar Heels here. North Carolina and me, they, they impressed against Kentucky when, when, the, when things got tough. They really rose. And I, I like the Tar Heels here. I'm going to take the Tar Heels as well. They, they impressed. They were able to fend off a Kentucky team. Now, I mean, it, the question is, is NC State going to be able to shoot them out of the building? I, I'm not entirely sure. Not, none of these two teams are good shooting teams, so I think UNC size is going to prevail. On Wednesday, Rutgers and Ohio State. This is a very intriguing Big Ten matchup. Uh, both of these teams having some different starts to their Big Ten campaign. Where do you see this one going? Yeah, this is a great game, and I think we might be different on this one. I'm going to take Ohio State in this game. Uh, Rutgers certainly been impressing me so far on the year, but I think it finally catches up to them. I think Ohio State's a good team. They can shoot to keep up with Rutgers. I think this game's going to end up uh, in the high 70s, but I will take it Ohio State victory. And I was right with you until Sunday, until the day we were recording. I watched the Illinois Rutgers team game, and I'm like, you know what? This Rutgers team is absolutely for real. Uh, and I think they just needed a big statement win against a top-tier Big Ten team to really prove that. And they have. I'm taking Rutgers here. Uh, this will be a very interesting game, but I love where Rutgers is going. I think Rutgers could be on course for something special, not just in Rutgers program history, but also when, when it comes to, to the Big Ten standings. I think the Scarlet Knights are on track for something extremely special. Villanova against Marquette. Uh, I got to go with Villanova. Villanova is still the best team in, in the Big East. And this again, if the Big East is going to be par for the course, this will be a very good game. But I'm going to take Villanova. Yeah, Villanova is still a top five team. Uh, they, they can beat you in so many ways. They have too many guys that can score. Their offense hasn't been as strong as I would have imagined. They were my national championships uh, preseason prediction. It's certainly not looking like they're going to be better than Gonzaga, but Villanova is still a top five team in the nation and Marquette's not there. Uh, another game, the Pac-12 would like Marquette to win, but I don't think they're going to do it. Give me Villanova as well. Let's go to UCLA and Oregon on a Wednesday. This is, to me, it's an interesting Pac-12 game. Two teams that could very well be at, at the top of the, this conference all of a sudden done. Um, 
I am going to take Oregon here, uh, though Dante's injury We'll see where Oregon lies. Uh, I still like the Ducks here. I think Dan Oldman will have his puzzle pieces aligned. Of course, he aligns Rubik's cues. I mean, he's got to have his puzzle pieces in the floor aligned, certainly. Uh, but I, I'm going to take Oregon here. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to take UCLA to win this game. I think they're a better team. They've played very good basketball ever since I lost to San Diego State. Like I've mentioned, even their loss to Ohio State was a good loss, in my opinion. So I will take the the Bruins in this game. Christmas Eve, Thursday, no games at all anywhere in the country. So to our listeners, if you must spend one day of your family, your relatives you haven't seen in a long, long time, if you are still able to do it during the pandemic, make sure you're on Christmas Eve because Christmas Day, you're going to want to stay in. Four games in the Big Ten Conference on Christmas. What a slate this is. We're going to predict them all. Wisconsin, Michigan State. I'm going Wisconsin. I loved what I saw the batches out against Louisville, and I am going to ride with Wisconsin. This will be a very tough game, so I would not be shocked if this went right down to the wire again. Uh, I will take the Badgers, and I think they're going to play a very good game when it comes to the turnovers, and I think that's a big key. Yeah, I'm going to take Wisconsin here as well. I, I, I think this game is going to be absolutely spectacular. You know, you're, I don't want to say you're picking blind here, but I mean, we, we, none of us are watching this Michigan State game <clears throat> against Northwestern. Seems like they're going to lose it, but uh, I mean, these two teams are certainly Final Four caliber teams. I will take Wisconsin, though. Yeah, and of course, we're both trying to focus on this uh, episode of Corey, so it's not like we've got another TV uh, with a, a game on, of course, I'm showing off our fantastic branding on the television right behind me. Uh, but yeah, it is a very shocking result, actually, in the final seconds there. So that'll be a big question of whether Michigan State can really rebound against a much better opposition. Iowa, Minnesota. Uh, I got to go with Iowa. I got to go with Luca Garza. Um, it should be an interesting one. Um, see what Minnesota can do uh, coming off their game against St. Louis. But I'm going to stick with Iowa. Take the over, take Iowa. It's that simple. Uh, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if these two teams. I, it doesn't matter what the total is. I mean, the total was just 171, and Iowa killed it. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think the Iowa offense is too good for Minnesota. It's going to be another shootout because that's all Iowa knows how to do. And I think they're going to outscore Minnesota and Marcus Carr here. Maryland and Purdue, very intriguing game. Two solid teams. I love what Purdue has to offer. I'm taking the Boilermakers here. Please use Zach Eddy, and please make sure he stays out of foul trouble. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the one thing I really uh, prove at Purdue here. Yep. Give me the Boilermakers as well. I, you know, I don't want to say home court advantage matters, but, I mean, to them it does. So, uh, take my Mackie. Michigan and Nebraska, a no-brainer for me. I got to go with Michigan here. I just don't think Nebraska is really up to par with the rest of the Big Ten here. Nope, go blue. It's that simple. Michigan should be ranked this week. On Saturday, Gonzaga. How about this? Another top game for Gonzaga. This time going up against Virginia. Some replacement games going on with the with the coronavirus pandemic. Virginia, Virginia. Supposed to play Phil and Madison Square Garden. That didn't quite work out. So now you pull the piece together to get this great game. I'm going Gonzaga here. This is like the 400, 500 matches I love. I mean. It's, it's, it should be a fun game because Virginia's system always needs to make these, these kinds of games very fun. But I got to go with Gonzaga. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Gonzaga as well. I mean, I, I, I don't really care how good your defense is. It's going to be tough to stop Gonzaga. And Gonzaga has a good enough defense where they're going to be able to hold Virginia to around 60 points. It's going to be around 70 to 60-ish. Give me the Zags. Indiana, Illinois. Let's get your pick out of the way. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be Illinois. But, I mean, they they need to find a way to get consistency out of Adam Miller, like I mentioned, they haven't won a single game when he hasn't made a single three. Anytime he's made a three, they've won. And they have dominant victories, too, over some good teams as well. So, I mean, Illinois just needs to figure it out. Uh, I, I might need to detach myself from them to, to let their to let their wings fly uh, because uh, everything that I seem to root for just sucks. So, uh, but I will take Illinois here. Should be a fantastic game. Really going to be intriguing to see how Race Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis match up against Coburn and Bashai's Philly. So, uh, I, I this is going to be a great matchup on Saturday. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, Illinois, I don't think they're going anywhere. I will take Illinois, but it is strange how it's just some things that the fan don't work out. I mean, it's really both of us. I mean, obviously, my charter, charters and foot and the NFL, they've been a lot better. Let's not even talk about that Rams-Jets game because that was just a – I don't even know what that was Nick, in the Rams. Nick, shut up, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our last game on the docket and the predictions is Kentucky versus Louisville. An in-state rivalry that is just always intriguing. And I got to tell you something. I'm going for the upset. I'm going Kentucky. Oh. I really think that Kentucky has found a way to I – mean, they still are not – as good as we thought they were, but I think they're starting to turn the page on their really sucky performances. I think they'll give Louisville quite the game here, and maybe this will be the win they're looking for to give themselves momentum to the SEC uh, conference play. I'm taking Kentucky in the upset. I appreciate you giving me the win. I will take the Cardinals <laughs> very, very thankfully. I This Kentucky team can't shoot. If you can't shoot, you can't beat good teams. And I mean, Louisville put up a stinker against Wisconsin, but we talked about them coming out of quarantine. I think they'll be just fine. It's going to be close. And this will be a single-digit game because this game is always good. It's like UNC-Duke. I mean, UNC sucked last year, and Duke was really good, and they still gave them a fight. And this game is no different. I think this is the second-best rivalry in college basketball, of course, behind Duke-UNC. Give me the Cardinals, though. And I also think that the urgency for Kentucky is going to have to be absolutely high because if you're Coach Cal, you got to be thinking, if we go one and six going to the SEC play – we'll have to win the conference tournament to get in, which is not territory that Kentucky is really uh, um, um, used to, really. Um, maybe this is the last year's, this is this year's version of, North, of last year's North Carolina. Who knows? But I'm taking the upset. You're taking Louisville. And that's how we end this episode. Just to give you an alternate lesson in case you have to go there over the course of this next week. Um, for the week, for the weekday, the midweek, uh, Monday's Tulsa Memphis game should be, very entertaining. Uh, Purdue, Iowa, too. The Illinois, Penn State on Wednesday. The weekend, um, should some things come up, uh, still some very uh, intriguing games. Ohio State, Northwestern on Saturday. Houston, UCF should be very good. And also the mid-major the, uh, mid um, uh, influx on Sunday, UC Santa Barbara and UC Irvine could be very interesting. But if we do have some cancellations, rescheduling, we have to really uh, rely on those are the games we'll go to. Follow us on Twitter, at College Bonanza. That's where you will be able to get the most up-to-date graphic on our predictions. And in case we have to go to those alternate list of games, we'll give you our predictions there on Twitter, at College Bonanza. Uh, of course, 
you want to look up some thoughts from previous games, previous weeks, the playlist is right there for you. Whatever platform you're listening to, go ahead and just click on an episode, get your popcorn out, and keep listening. For Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodell. Enjoy the festive holidays, and we will see you on the next episode of the Bonanza. Have a very good week of college basketball watching everyone.